0: This program is made possible by BibleWayMedia.org. Overseen by the Uloga Church of Christ in Uloga, Oklahoma. You're listening to Opening the Scriptures with Don Boyd. This is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ. and want to welcome you to Opening the Scriptures today. Today we're going to be studying in the book of 2 Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians. You might recall that Paul had left the city of Thessalonica hurriedly when he established the church there back in Acts chapter 17, verse 10. And he had written a letter to the church there to correct some of the false ideas that the brethren had about the second coming of Christ and also to supply what was lacking in their understanding of God's word. Uh, He received intelligence back from Thessalonica Timothy went there as we saw in our studies there in 1 Thessalonians. And there were still some erroneous views there concerning the second coming of Christ and some other disorders that needed to be handled. So this second letter to the church in Thessalonians was written to uh, correct these views. Now again, in the 1 Thessalonian letter, Paul expressed his great joy and affection and tenderness that he had for the church in Thessalonica. Now, Paul is more stern and businesslike in this second letter. As we study 2 Thessalonians chapter one, it's mainly devoted to encouraging the church in Thessalonica. Now, in First Thess- 2 Thessalonians chapter one, verses one through four, we see the steadfastness there of the church in Thessalonica. The salutation, of course, is given in 2 Thessalonians 1, 1, and 2. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus under the church of the Thessalonians, in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the writers are the same as the first letter. Again, the second letter was probably written just shortly after the first letter. Paul, Timothy, and Silas are still together. They're still in Corinth whenever it was written. Again, maybe a few months after the first letter, maybe around AD 51 or 52. The recipients of the letter are the same as the first letter, and that being the church there, Church of Christ in Thessalonica. And Paul reminds them whose they are. It is the church there, the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, remember who you are, whose you are, and where you are. Uh, The Thessalonians, being in God, in Jesus Christ, were in the place where all spiritual blessings are found. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So the Thessalonians were where all spiritual blessings are found in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, 2 Timothy 2.10, he says, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. There's no other place where we can obtain salvation. It is only in Jesus Christ. And the English translation here, the word in, comes from the Greek word in, en, E-N. Strongs defines in as a primary preposition denoting fixed position. There's only one position in which we can have salvation and that is in Jesus Christ. So again, they're reminded that grace and peace come from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word from there is from the Greek word apa. Thayer's second definition of that word is of the place whence anything is, comes, befalls, is taken. So again, grace and peace is taken from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. It comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Robertson's word pictures in Esau states this, and I quote, but note difference between en, the Greek word en, in the sphere of, by the power of, and apa from, as the fountainhead and source of grace and peace. So the position of where grace and peace is comes from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They are the source of grace and peace. The word Lord there from the Greek word Thayer defines Kyrios in this way. He to whom a person or thing belongs, about which he has power of deciding master or Lord. So right there, we belong to a master. That master is either our Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father along you over the Godhead, or it's Satan. We have the power to decide which one we want to follow. We have the power of deciding who our master and Lord is. The Thessalonians master and Lord was Jesus Christ and God our Father. Now in First Thess- or second Thessalonians chapter two verse or one verse three, I get this straightened out in a minute, we find thanksgiving that is given there. Second Thessalonians chapter one verse three. We are bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is meet, because that your faith groweth exceedingly, and the charity of every one of you all toward each other aboundeth. Kelsey, on page 138 of his work there on 1st 2nd Thessalonians, states this, and I quote, he feels an obligation to God, impelling urgency to give thanks for the spiritual progress of the Thessalonians, So Paul there, he said he was bound to thank God. The word bound there from the Greek word aphelo. Strong says aphelo means figuratively to be under obligation. Ought, must, should. And it mentions that their faith was growing exceedingly. Now the two words in English there, groweth exceedingly, comes from one Greek word, oxano." It means, according to Strong's, to increase above ordinary degree. So their faith was growing and growing and growing in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul had before spoken of something lacking in their faith in 1 Thessalonians 3.10. 1 Thessalonians 3.10 says, Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And now Paul has learned, whenever Timothy came back, that their faith is growing what a wonderful thing that their faith is growing. It's growing like that mustard seed, that grain of mustard seed that Jesus mentioned in Matthew 13, 31 to 32. Matthew 13, 31 to 32. Another parable put he forth unto them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like to a grain of mustard seed, Which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest among herbs, and becometh a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. So our faith can grow like that as well. Now, Paul also mentions there that their love for one another abounded. The word aboundeth, translated there in the King James, is the Greek word planazo, And Strong's defines planazo as to superabound. They were superabounding there in their love for one another. Now, the writers had previously prayed that their love would increase and abound in 1 Thessalonians 3.12. First Thessalonians three twelve and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. Uh, now there's gratitude for the answer to that prayer, because there the Thessalonians' love was increasing and abounding. Uh, Perry Hall in the 1988 Denton Lectureship book on page 223 states this, and I quote, the verb abound comes from a word which means to overflow, to overspread, as a flood covers everything in its path. Love is that purpose of will which seeks the highest possible good, the will of God in the one loved, in the one loved, unquote there. All right, he also mentions that the Thessalonians were steadfast, Second Thessalonians 1.4, Second Thessalonians 1.4. So that we ourselves glory in you and the churches of God for your patience and your faith in all, or and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. All right? The reputation of the church in Thessalonica had grown far beyond their local boundaries. Paul says they're able, able to glory in them in the churches of God. Wherever they went, they gloried in them And it says, for your patience and faith in your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. The word patience there comes from the Greek word hupomone. Thayer defines hupomone as, in the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerved from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety, even by the greatest trials and sufferings. He also mentions there in their faith as well. The word faith from the Greek word pistis, which means according to Strong's moral conviction of religious truth or the truthfulness of God or a religious teacher, especially reliance upon Christ for salvation. So they had patience and faith that they were having to endure in all of their persecution and all of their tribulation. Now Paul boasted to the Corinthians about the Macedonians' generosity. This would be some of the tribulation that they were apparently going through and caused by the persecution they were having to go through. In second Corinthians chapter eight, verses one through five, second Corinthians eight 1 through 5. It says, Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit, or we make known to you, the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Thessalonica would be one of those. Verse 2, how then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded under the riches of their liberality. Now, we'll notice in verse 2 there, apparently at Thessalonica and other churches in Macedonia, there was a great trial of affliction that they were having to go through. And it also mentions their joy, the abundance of their joy, but also their deep poverty. Apparently, their conviction to Jesus Christ, their conversion to Jesus Christ, there was causing them deep poverty because of the things that the world around them was doing to them. And it says they abounded to the riches of their liberality. They were a very liberal giving church. They gave generously. Verse 3, For to their power I bear record, Yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering to the saints. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. So right there, Paul is just simply saying they were persecuted, they were in affliction, they had were very liberal in what they were willing to give to help the saints. And the reason they were able to do that is because they first gave themselves to God. The Gospel Advocate Commentary on page 87 states this, and I quote, Persecution implies active personal enemies and describes their hostile actions toward others. Afflictions are the various kinds of injury to body and mind suffered by those who are persecuted, So they were having to go through these persecutions and tribulations, very active things going on in their lives. Well, Jesus suffered persecution, affliction, and death on the cross, and he's our example. Hebrews 12, to 4 just one place. Hebrews 12, to 4 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith. You notice the word hour there in the King James is is, uh, italicized. Uh, The translators added that, so it makes more sense to leave that word out in this passage. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and is sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For considered him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. So you think of the things that Jesus went through there. Prior to Of the cross, whenever he was in the trials, being smitten and mocked and things such as that, and beaten. Then, prior to his crucifixion, he was scourged. The great beating that would have taken place at that point, more mocking going on there. And then, being on the cross, the mocking that was taking place there, people wagging their heads and saying, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross and we will believe him. No, they wouldn't have. They didn't believe him before. They would not have believed him afterwards. So think of everything that Jesus went through. If we do that, we can endure the things that we have to go through in this life. As he says there in Hebrews uh, chapter uh, 12 verse 3, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. And then he's telling you haven't resisted unto blood striving against sin. There are those that have. You haven't done that yet. Well, in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, we see the righteous judgment of God against those who are persecuting and afflicting the Thessalonians. For, or 2 Thessalonians 5, 1 to 10. Well, because of the patience and faith of the Thessalonians, they would be worthy before God. Second Thessalonians chapter one verse five. 2 Thessalonians one five. It says which is a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God, that ye may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which ye also suffer. So again, it mentions that they are suffering for the Word of God, the Kingdom of God, suffering for the church, and yet they are enduring these sufferings, these persecutions and tribulations. And because they are enduring those persecutions and, uh, you know, whatever, there, persecutions and tribulations, I'll get that word out, they are a manifest token of the righteous judgment of God that they're counted worthy. The Gospel Advocate series commentary again on page 87 states this, and I quote, the persecution brought upon them was a clear sign of the righteous judgment of God that he might test and try them and prove them worthy to receive the blessings of the kingdom of God, unquote. You know, their faith had not failed even though they were suffering for the kingdom of God. And I want to go back and quote Perry Hall again from the 1988 Dental Lectureship book, and this is from page 226. He says, and I quote, Persecution can take many forms. Nicknames, taunts, cold looks, social ostracism, misrepresentations, or deliberate lies abusive or evil speech, ill-treatment, job loss, seizing or destruction of property, imprisonment, or death. We expect some of these things from the world. It is doubly sad when it comes from those who are supposed to be our brethren." So persecution. We will suffer persecution. Paul told Timothy that very plainly that we will suffer persecution and we need to be prepared for that suffering that is going to come our way. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 2 Timothy 3 12 Paul said yea and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. The Thessalonians were doing it and we will as well. In Second Thessalonians chapter one verse six, it just simply is saying there: vengeance belongs to God; He'll repay; He'll take care of it. Second Thessalonians one six, seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you, so they were being. Going, suffering affliction, tribulation. They were going through all these things, enduring these things, but God's going to take care of that. James Burton Coffin, in his commentary on Thessalonians on page 86, wrote this, and I quote, All the sufferings of God's people inflicted upon them by unbelievers and enemies of righteousness will be vindicated in the righteous judgment of Almighty God against such offenders. And so certain is that judgment, about which Paul will momentarily speak, that the very persecutions themselves are actually a token of the judgment to come." In Romans chapter two, verses five through 11. Romans chapter two, verses five through 11. It says, but after thy hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up unto thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to every man according to his deeds, to them who by patience, continuance, and well-doing Seek for honor and glory, or well-doing, seek for glory and honor and immortality, eternal life. But unto them that are contentious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish upon every soul of man that doeth evil, of the Jew first and also of the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace to every man that worketh good, to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. For there is no respect of persons with God. God is going to take care of these things. He's going to take care of those who are causing the tribulation, suffering, and affliction for Christians excuse me, in Philippians 1, 28 to 30, Philippians chapter 1, verses 28 through 30. It says, And in nothing be terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and now here to be in me. Again, the letter of Philippians was written there from a Roman prison where Paul was at. So the Philippians had also seen this same conflict in Paul when he was there and that is in him as well now will christians who are troubled by the persecution of the world will receive rest second thessalonians 1:7 second thessalonians chapter 1 verse 7 and to you who are troubled rest with us when the lord jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels you're suffering, you're in affliction, you're having tribulation, you're going to receive rest because you're enduring. The word troubled there from the Greek word thlibo, uh, the third definition that Thayer gives is metaphorically to trouble, afflict, or distress. On the other hand, the word rest from anessis, Strong says that it means relaxation or figuratively relief. You're troubled, you're afflicted, you're under distress, but you're going to be receiving relaxation and relief. Uh, Kelsey on page one hundred and forty three of his work on first and second Thessalonians states this and I quote him. Paul promises the afflicted Thessalonians that God will grant rest to them he, to them. He says, with us, including the writers. Paul knew what it was to be under tension. He had experienced such at Thessalonica and other places. The placing of the writers alongside the readers in the experiencing of such afflictions and in the sharing of rest shows the unity the writers felt with the readers, unquote. And the righteous judgment of God is going to take place when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Lord, we understand that being the last day, the end of time, the end of this world, the second coming of Christ. Christ will be revealed from heaven. <clears throat> Revelation chapter 1 verse 7. Revelation 1 7. It says, Behold he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him, and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him amen. All right, back in first Thessalonians chapter one verse seven, I want to look uh, read that again. And do you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. The last part of that verse about the mighty angels, uh, the literal translation of the Bible says, With angels of his power. So the Lord is coming himself, and the angels are coming with him. The vengeance of God is shown in Second Thessalonians one 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter one, verse eight, where it says, "In flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ." Uh, again, quoting from. Perry Hall in the 1988 Denton Lectureship Book, and this is page 225. I quote The literal phrase is fire of flame, such as a ball of fire that lashes out flames. We might liken it to the sun. Unquote. All right, so what we have here is. Described of God in flaming fire, what is described of God is here transferred also a description of Christ. Look at Hebrews 12.29. Hebrews 12.29 says, For our God is a consuming fire. Here it says, 2 Thessalonians 1.8, Jesus Christ coming with his mighty angels in flaming fire to take vengeance on two groups. The word vengeance there from the Greek word ektikasis. Strong says that word means vindication, retribution. In Vines, uh, it says that, uh, and I quote, that which proceeds out of justice not as often with human vengeance, out of a sense of injury or merely out of a feeling of indignation, unquote. So in other words, God's vengeance, God's retribution, God's vindication is just. It's not like human beings. Uh, we think we're injured to someone or we're feeling indig- indignant or whatever. No, God's vengeance is just. And again, it's against two groups, two groups that God will take vengeance on. The first group, those who do not know God. Those who might say, what God? You know, you've heard people say, well, there's this man over in deepest darkest Africa in the middle of the Congo who never heard of God. God won't condemn him, yes he will. Does the lack of the knowledge of God, is that what condemns us? No, it's sin. Sin is sin in the United States of America, the British United Kingdom, Europe, Asia, Africa, South America, wherever it may be. Sin is sin. And it doesn't change just because you're somewhere else. It is the responsibility of every person to know God. Catch that again. It is the responsibility of every person to know God. How? Why? Well, in Acts chapter 17, verses 26 and 27, pay close attention. Acts 17, 26 and 27. It said there, of God... Hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. God put everything here in this creation to show that he exists and it is up to every human being to seek him, to find out what God requires. God left witness of himself in nature, very plainly, Psalm 19, 1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the firmament showeth his handiwork. All you have to do is look around unless you are really biased or uncaring or just whatever, you're going to know that there is a supreme being. You look at the complexity of this creation. You know that it didn't come from some little bitty blob the size of a period at the end of a sentence that exploded and everything came into existence. How many things come into existence because of an explosion? In Romans chapter 1 verse 20 Romans 1:20 says for the invisible things of him that being God from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made all right understood by the things that are made that's human beings we understand even his eternal power and Godhead so that they're without excuse. If someone doesn't believe in God, someone doesn't know God, it's their fault. They are without excuse. The gospel has gone out into all the world, Colossians 1.23. The gospel is going everywhere into the world today as well. And if people don't don't count God as God, it's their own fault. Man is to blame if we do not know God. Now the second group that God's vengeance will be brought against, those who do not obey the gospel. In other words, they're saying no to God because they do not want to obey. Eternal life will only come to those who obey God. Hebrews 5, 8, and 9 is one example. Hebrews 5, 8, and 9. Though he, Jesus, were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. Salvation comes only through obedience to Jesus Christ, only to through obedience to the Word of God. Peter also talked about this in First Peter four 17. 1 Peter four seventeen. For the time has come; that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it be first begin at us. What shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? That's pretty plain, isn't it? The judgment is gonna begin, he says, first at us, those who are children of God, those who obey God. What about the end of them that don't obey the gospel of God? They have no hope. Have no hope at all. And not everyone that hears the gospel obeys it. Romans 10:16. Romans 10:16 says, "But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, "Lord, who hath believed our report? And in verse 7 and he says, "So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, but everybody that hears the Word of God does not obey. There are many who don't obey the Word of God. And Paul wrote about the transition from disobedience to obedience from in Romans 6:17 and 18. Romans 6:17 and 18. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. There's the transition. You were the servants of sin. Ye have obeyed that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. And he did obey it from the heart. It's not just an external obedience. Now, verse 18. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. That transition again. You were servants of sin. Ye obeyed. The doctrine that was delivered you, you obeyed it from the heart, now your servants of righteousness, that transition from disobedience to obedience. And these two groups, those that do not know God and those that do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, will be eternally punished. Second Thessalonians one nine. Second Thessalonians one nine who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So the vengeance of verse eight will be accomplished by the punishment of verse nine. Robertson's word pictures in Esau says of the phrase shall be punished and he gives the Greek word there words decaying to susan. He says it's a future active of an old verb, tino, to pay penalty. They're going to pay penalty for what they have or have not done. Punishment is described as everlasting destruction. That means non-ending punishment, non-ending ruin. It does not mean annihilation. Non-ending ruin. What is it? It's the exclusion from the face of the Lord in the torment of hell. The punishment of hell. It is also The non-ending ruin is the exclusion from the glory of the Lord's power. Kelsey, again on page 146 of his book, stated this, and I quote, The mightiness of the Lord will be revealed to his people as they behold his glory. Those who are banished from his presence will be deprived of this blessed experience, unquote. The tribulation to those who trouble Christians in verse 6 is vividly described here in verse 9. Verse 6, again, is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And then verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the, uh, the glory of his power. But at the same time, Christ will be glorified by the saints when he comes again, his second coming. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10. 2 Thessalonians 1, 10. says, When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. You know, Paul puts this parenthetical statement in there. Let's read 2 Thessalonians 1:10 without the parenthetical statement. When he shall come to be glorified in his saints and be admired in all them that believe in that day. And then he talks about them, that they're gonna be glorified. They're gonna be glorifying him in that day because their testimony was believed. Paul said, our testimony was believed among you, so you're going to be glorifying him because you are saints, and you're going to be glorifying him in that day. And Jesus will come to be glorified in his saints, Colossians 3, 4. Colossians 3, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So he's going to be glorified in his saints. And it also mentions there that he is going to be admired by the saints. The word admired there comes from the Greek word thamazo. And Thayer gives two definitions here that I want to quote. Number one, to wonder, wonder at marvel. The second definition, to be wondered at, to be had in admiration. Think about the admiration and the wonder that we will have when Jesus Christ comes again. Again, Kelsey on page 147 of his book says this, and I quote, When believers see their Lord, they will be filled with wonder and awe, They will reflect his glory and will marvel at the glory which they see in him. This is in vivid contrast to the fate of the unbelievers who will be excluded from the Lord's presence and glory." The Thessalonians will be among this group because they believed and obeyed the gospel and because of the evidence, they did that because of the evidence that was presented to them. Paul, Timothy, and Silas presented the evidence. They taught them the gospel. They believed it. They obeyed it. They're going to be among those who are with the Lord in glory. And Christ glorified in the Thessalonians is found in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11, 11 and 12. Christ glorified in the Thessalonians. All right, because of what will happen on the judgment day, destruction of the evil, blessing of the good. Paul prays that the Thessalonians will be acceptable to God. Second Thessalonians chapter one verse eleven. 2 Thessalonians one eleven. Wherefore also we pray. Always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of His goodness and the work of faith with power. The word wherefore, there, Robertson's word pictures on Esau says, means to which end, and to which end God would. Count you worthy? That word, that phrase, count you worthy? From the Greek word, uh, Greek word, axo. Thayer's second definition of that word is to judge worthy, deem deserving. They're deserving of this. This would require the Thessalonians living as they should to be pleasing to God. God tells them what to do. He tells us what to do, how to do it, why we do it. We do it. That's when we're pleasing to God is when we do what God commands. We are to do God's good pleasure or his purpose in our lives, not our good pleasure and purpose. Luke 9:23. Luke 9:23. Jesus speaking. And he said to them all, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. What does that mean? That means living to God's good pleasure. Not our worldly earthly pleasures that come our that we want to do, but God's good pleasure. And then he mentions this in the end of verse 11 and the work of faith with power True faith produces works James two eighteen to twenty James two eighteen to twenty Yea a man may say thou hast faith and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? There are so many people out there in the denominational world today that say, oh no, you can't. you can't have works. Baptism's a work. You can't do that. Well, let's see here. Faith without works is dead. You go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And we find there that belief is a work also. John six twenty eight and 29. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. That's a work. Is baptism a work? It is a work of faith. Faith and works go together powerfully. Notice that. The work of faith with power. Can you work your way to heaven? No. God's grace is the only way we're going to get there. But in order to get there, what are we going to be judged by? We're going to be judged by our works. You go over to Revelation chapter 20. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 and following. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works, were saved by grace and judged by works. Kelsey, in his book on page 148, said this, and I quote him again, This too is something man does, yet he is motivated by God, and God is seen as the source of faith. Man needs the help of God as he seeks to work his will." In 2 Thessalonians 1.12, Paul gives the purpose that he was praying for the Thessalonians. 2 Thessalonians 1.12. That the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and ye in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. When we accept the gospel through our obedience to it, God's name Christ's name is glorified in us. You know, what do you think Matthew five sixteen is talking about? Matthew five sixteen, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? We let our light <clears throat> shine before men because we accept the gospel through our obedience and our works do show that <clears throat> in John 17:10 John 17:10 Jesus said and all are mine and thine are mine and I am glorified in them that's our light shining in Galatians 1:22 and 23 Galatians 1:22 and 23 there of Paul whenever he mentions about whenever he went, wanted to uh, uh, join there the disciples that were in Jerusalem. He said that they heard only that he which persecuted us in time past now preacheth the faith which he once destroyed and they glorified God in me. He didn't say they glorified me. They glorified God because Paul had obeyed the gospel and was living it. And we're glorified in Christ. <clears throat> John 17:22. John 17, 22. Jesus in his prayer to the Father. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. And then all of this is according to the grace of God and and the Lord Jesus Christ. Divine grace is the source of all such glorification. It will find its complete fulfillment when the Lord returns. So the faith and love of those in Thessalonica were growing and abounding even in the face of persecution and suffering. Paul lets the congregation know that those who were oppressing them would face God's retribution at the second coming of Christ. Paul's desire for the Thessalonians was that they glorify Christ in this life through their obedience. If they did that, they would glorify Christ when he returns and be glorified with him forever. So again, this is Don Boyd with the Moody Church of Christ in Moody, Missouri. I wanna thank you for being with us today. And if you're ever in the Moody, Missouri area, feel free to stop by and to worship with us. We meet there, we're at a corner on Highway E there in Moody, Missouri. It's the only corner that's there. You'll spot our building. And we meet on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Bible classes for all ages, and then 11 o'clock for worship. We also meet at 6 o'clock Sunday evening for worship, and then Wednesday evening at 6 o'clock for Bible class for all ages at that time as well. So again, thank you for being with us, and we look forward to being with you next time. When you're in Moody, Missouri, you're invited to visit the Moody Church of Christ located on Highway E in Moody, Missouri. The congregation there meets on Sunday morning at 10 a.m. for Bible class, 11 a.m. for worship, and then again at 6 p.m. for Sunday evening worship. They also meet at 6 p.m. on Wednesday night for Bible study. We thank you for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this program.